chapter number 11 and read verse 43. And uh, we'll notice there that King Solomon, David's son, passes off the scene. The Bible said Solomon slept with his father, so he, he dies. And of course, there's a split in Israel after that. Had a lot to do with Solomon's life and how he lived. And a fellow by the name of Jeroboam comes along and they make him king. If you look in verse number 20 of chapter 12, it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again and that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king. And you notice he was not anointed by God, but they made him king. And if you look down in verse 25, you'll see what he begins to do in Israel. Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein, went out from thence and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me. And look in verse 28, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for even the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. Then if you'll jump over to chapter number uh, 15, verse number 20, the Bible said, And the days which Jeroboam reigned were two and twenty years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his stead. We're noticing these kings uh, in the nation of Israel. Look in verse number 25 of chapter 15. The Bible said, And Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, were which he made Israel to sin. And Basha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Basha smote him at Gibbethon, which belongeth to the Philistines. For Nadab and all Israel did lay siege to Gibbethon. Even in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, did Basha slay him and reign in his stead. If you notice in verse number 34, the Bible said, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam. And in his sin, wherewith he made Israel to sin. If you notice in chapter number 16, uh, it tells us concerning Basha's death. It said, Now the rest of the acts of Basha, verse 5, that which he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Basha slept with his fathers, and it goes on to say that Elah, his son, raised, reigned in his stead. If you look in verse number 7, 
And also by the hand of the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, came the word of the Lord against Basha, against his house, even for all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord. Look in verse number 8. And in the twenty-and-sixth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Elah, the son of Basha, to reign over Israel in Tarzah two years. His servant, Zimri, captain of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Tarzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Tarzah. And Zimri went in and smote him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his stead. Notice in verse number 11, it came to pass when he began to reign as soon as he sat on the throne that he slew all the house of Basha. Verse number 12, thus did Zimri destroy the house of Basha. Verse 13, for all the sins of Basha which he which, and the sins of of Elah his son, by which they sinned, and by which they made Israel to sin, in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger in their vanities. Verse number 15, in the twentieth and seventh year of Asa king of Judah, did Zimri reign seven days in Tarzah. And then you'll notice in verse number 18, came to pass when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the palace of the king's house and burnt the king's house over him with fire and died for his sins which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 21, Then were the people of Israel divided into two parts. Half the people followed Timnah, the son of Ganath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people that followed Omri prevailed against the people that followed Timnah, the son of Ganad. So Timnah died and Omri reigned. But Omri, verse number 25, wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Verse number 29, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa king of Judah began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. It came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took the wife of Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And now in chapter number 17, in verse number 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, 
as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. I'm going to take these few days this week, and I want to preach from Elijah's life. His very name means my God, a compound name. My God is Jehovah. But this morning I want to take just a few moments and introduce it by pointing out to you the reason why Elijah was raised up, the reason why Elijah was cultivated, and the reason why Elijah had to be sent to Israel. When Elijah shows up on the scene in Israel, God's chosen people, he shows up during a time of national separation. After Solomon, the nation is divided between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And then we pick up with the history of that northern kingdom of Samaria, those tribes that were in the north, run by all of these kings that I have mentioned to you. He came on the scene during a time of sinful continuation. In other words, every time we read about a new king, it said it did worse than the one that was before him. It begins with Jeroboam, who's afraid that his kingdom's going to join back up with the southern tribes, and uh, they're going to want to go back to Bethel. They're going to want to go back to the place, or to Jerusalem, to the place of worship. So there in Bethel and in Dan, he sets up his own religion. Well, why not? He's been set up as his own king. There's been no God in appointing him and anointing him. And so he institutes his own uh, little system of religion. Reminds me of the world in which we live in today. And uh, so as a result of that, the people begin to worship these idols, these false gods, these golden calves. They're even told stories how these golden calves led them out of Egypt. And of course... It uh, took them deeper and deeper into sin. And it just got worse and worse. A time of national separation, a time of sinful continuation, and then a time of imitation salvation. Uh, what Jeroboam did is he imitated everything God had set up. He imitated that. And uh, so it was a terrible time. But the whole reason in summary this morning that Elijah's being brought to confront Israel is uh, simply because of all these kings. And may I say to you by way of introduction, anywhere that you find kings trying to reign, you find trouble. You find division. You, si you find sinfulness. You find a system that though it looks religious, it is actually anti-Christ and it is anti-God. And as I've read in this text, the, these texts that I have pointed out to you, I did not read of all the kings, but as you read of the history going through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, there, there's somewhere around 20 different kings uh, I, I guess I would title the sermon this morning Playing King because that's exactly what they were doing. They were playing king. 
You remember as a child playing king of the mountain or king of the hill, and maybe there was five, seven, or eight of you, and you'd struggle to get to the top, but you didn't stay long because there's enough of them to pull you down. And while they were concentrating on pulling you down, somebody would slip up the other side, and they'd get on top. But they didn't last long, and they got pulled down. And what these men didn't realize is anytime you are self-appointed, Anytime that you're trying to be sovereign, anytime you're trying to rule anything in this world, you're just playing. That's all you're doing. I noticed that in the reigns of these kings, only, only two of them uh, reigned over 20 years. Uh, some of them reigned. We read of, of uh, Zimri reigned six months. And uh, some of them reigned two years. And some of them reigned five years. But I tell you, if there's one place in this world that doesn't lie to you, it's a graveyard. And the truth of the matter is all these kings died just like anybody else died, but most of them died premature. And uh, they were playing this matter of trying to rule and trying to be sovereign and trying to be king. Now, this matter of playing king, uh, it goes all the way back to heaven. You do know that, don't you? That's where the problem began when Satan wanted to exalt himself above God. In other words, he said, I want to be king. But when he was kicked out, of course, he came down and this matter of playing king became a human matter. Because from Adam and Eve, once they took of that fruit, uh, they began to rule their own lives. When they took of that fruit, uh, they disobeyed God, and what they were doing is they began this matter of playing king. And so as a result of that, it's passed down through all of humanity. Uh, you read history, and you can see those who have risen up uh, to be kings. It goes all the way back in biblical times to Nimrod, who built his great tower up to heaven. He wanted to be king over everybody that was below him. And, of course, we could go on to those other kings like Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we could come on to Alexander the Great or to Caesar. Uh, we could even come down uh, more closely in history as far as Hitler is concerned and as far as Stalin is concerned or Saddam Hussein is concerned. I think about Absalom in the Bible, a great illustration of this young man who, who, who had so much going for him, but yet the one thing in his heart was is he wanted to be king. And I'm going to tell you so much that he died trying to be king, dying to be king. And I'm going to tell you something, anytime you're pursuing those high elevations, what you're doing is you're going down. And while you're trying to live that high life, uh, you're, you're going on the low road. And uh, it's, it's a road, of course, of, of debt. And uh, so these men are trying. It is This matter of being king is not only a heavenly matter, a matter of humanity. It's a matter of, of history. But I tell you, it is, it is a personal matter that every one of us must be confronted with. Uh, it's not so much that, uh, I tell you, Jeroboam wanted to be king that we're, we're interested in here. He's only an illustration of it. It's not so much that Absalom wanted to be king. It's not so much that those kings, as far as the past is concerned, but this is a personal matter. In other words, you'll find, you'll find this matter of folks trying to be king everywhere. Right. 
You'll find this matter of folks trying to be king uh, in everything. Somebody's trying to rule over everything. But I would zero in. I'd bring it down to you. I'd bring it down to my own heart. And it is that we have this problem of playing king in everyone. We must all be honest before God and with each other. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'll raise my own hand that I've had a lot of trouble with this matter of being king. I've had a lot of trouble with this matter of wanting to run my own life. I've had a lot of trouble with not wanting to let anybody else tell me what to do. I've had some trouble with this matter of playing king. And I'd like to say that it's all in the past, but I find my heart rising up yet. I find those times when the Lord will say to me to do something or he wants me to do something, I'll stand guard at my own heart and say, now, wait a minute, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that or not. I, I'm, I have uh, still got this war going on. In other words, this matter of playing king is all around us. It's everywhere. Just look around. You can see it. Uh, matter of fact, this matter of playing king can be over you. I mean, letting some king rule your life. Uh, letting some attitude, letting some sin, letting something of this world uh, make the decisions in your life uh, ruling over you. It, it can be all around you. It can be over you. But I'll tell you, the worst place for this matter of playing king could ever be found is inside of you. The biggest king in your life is the king that rises up inside of you. A little poem I came across a few years ago. It said, There is a foe whose hidden power the Christian well may fear, more subtle far than inbred sin, and to the heart more dear. It is the power of selfishness. It is the willful eye. And ere my Lord can live in me, my very self must die. O oh, Jesus, slay the self in me, by thy consuming breath, show me thy heart, thy word, and thy name, and love my soul to death. There is the rising up of this matter of playing king as we find here in the word of God, as we find all around us, and as we find in our own experiences. But what we realize is is there's ever only been one king. And there is still just a single king. And the Bible tells us that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. The Bible said that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And better that you and I realize that he is king and bow to his authority and his lordship than to play these games of destruction that are illustrated in the word of God, as I say, and illustrated all around us. Now, I'd like to ask you a few questions, and then I'm going to give you four or five thoughts about playing king. I would ask you, first of all, would you like to be king? Is there anything in you at times that says, boy, I, I'm gonna, I want to rule over that? I would ask you, how bad would you like to be king? Then I would ask you, 
what would you do? What the, is the extent of which you would go so that you could be Lord in any matter? And then I would ask you, what would you do to those to whom you feel as though they are threatening you in being king? You see, there's so much uh, as far as this matter is, of being king is concerned, not only in reference to you, but in reference to everyone that is around you. And I wonder in this matter of being king, who all is going to suffer so that you can be king? So I noticed that these men, 20 of them, have appointed themselves and they are reigning, so to speak, as king, but they're really just playing king. Now let me give you, uh, as I say, four or five things about this matter this is the reason why Elijah's come on the scene. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why we got the word of God is to knock the king out of you. Amen. To suppress the king. Matter of fact, not just to hurt the king, but to kill the king that is in us. Amen. And uh, so I take uh, what I've read as far as these kings are concerned. And let me mention these things. First of all, what I would say to you is, is this matter of playing king will ultimately crush you. Did you notice the devastation that went on in all of these men's lives? That would take the throne. I think about Zimri who killed the king before him, took the throne, and then six days later had to take his own life. I think about those who who thought they had created a dynasty and they ruled for 20, 22 years. Jeroboam did so. But yet when their son took the throne, someone else came and killed their son, but not only killed their son, but wiped out everybody in the family. It's kind of like a lion that uh, takes over in a pride and it'll kill all of those cubs in doing so so that it can know that there is no contest as far as who king is. And in each one of these situations, every single time, it ends in horror as far as the individual is concerned. Playing king is a dangerous business. And as I have emphasized, they all died, but most of them died prematurely. Most of them died young because of the game that they had gotten involved in, not realizing what the outcome was going to be. I'm saying to you this matter of playing king, this matter of usurping authority, this matter of wanting to rule anything, anywhere, at any time will get you hurt. It'll bring nothing but pain and sorrow to your life. But not only is it going to hurt you, it's going to hurt your family. It's going to have an effect upon your children. And it's going to have an effect upon your grandchildren. Just because you have the audacity to feel as though that you could sit on the throne, that you could rise up, and somehow you could handle the situation and take charge, whatever it may be. And you would not humble yourself as a result of that. 
you will realize in time that it was the worst mistake that you could ever make, not only because of the hurt and harm and devastation in your life, but the hurt and harm and devastation in the lives of all those that are around you. It's just one mangled mess. Playing king, are you hearing me? Playing king will crush you. It will hurt you. As a matter of fact, it will destroy you. The second thing that I would say to you, this is the reason why Elijah is raised up. This is the reason why God had to send his word to his people is because you've got all these guys playing king. And it has not only affected them, but it has affected everyone. So God sends a word. God has a word for those who would play king. It will crush you. He tells them ahead of time. He sends prophets to just about each one of them telling them the outcome. He says to Ahab, the last one we read about, he said, I'm going to tell you something. The dogs are going to lick your blood and the dogs are going to eat your wife's flesh. He says to Jeroboam, the first one, he said, what you don't know is in the outcome of this that your whole family is going to be wiped out. There's no good outcome for those who decide that they are king. It will crush you. The second thing that I notice about all of these 20 kings is that playing king not only will crush you, it will confuse you. Because you never know who the king is from one minute to the next. I mean, you think one guy's seated in, then you find out he's been killed. Now you got another guy. Now you've been following the orders of the first guy. Now you got to follow the orders of the second guy. But you don't know how long he's going to last because you got to make sure that you make friends with everybody around him because one of them's liable to kill him and they're liable to be king. In other words, you're just totally confused as to who you're supposed to obey anyway. There's nothing but confusion in this matter of playing king because one day you may feel one way about it. Another day you may feel another way about it. You might have a kingly spirit in you one day that's far unlike this kingly spirit uh, in you the next day. You've got your mind set on one thing and then you've got your mind set on another thing. You are a person who is totally confused because you hadn't figured out who is really king in your life. Look at Israel. They are being ruled by these kings and as a result of it, they don't even know where to worship. They don't know who to worship. They don't even know what their history is all about. They've been taught that it's uh, in such a way that it's warped and there's some golden idols that has led them out. It's just amazing what people will believe when there are these kings that are playing king in their lives. can be nothing stable about an individual when there are these false kings that are taking control. That's the reason why in America you can't, I mean, watch one newscast and then watch another and then watch another and you get all these different ideas, all these different uh, philosophies, all these different opinions 
And then you listen to people talk and they're following this one and then they are following this one and then they're following that one and and they're listening to how those who seem to be sovereign in these areas are are framing their opinions in the matter and then they'll go to the extent and start marching out on the streets just because of what some king said. Well, I'll tell you something. I don't want to get wrapped up in all that confusion. I don't want to be sucked into the opinions of the kings of this world because it is total confusion. Look around us in this day. I mean, look at the nation of Israel. Never a nation so confused as what Israel was as it went from king to king to king with different rules, different regulations, different, I'll tell you, sets of laws depending upon who was king that was the outcome. I'd rather have one king. And no, I'll tell you, thank God that that king is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's no con. This matter of playing king will crush you. It will confuse you. But the third thing I would say to you is that this matter of playing king, if you want to be king, you got to understand that it's going to consume you. Playing king takes every bit of your energy, your strength, and your time. In other words, you can't let up because if you do, somebody's going to take the throne. So you must live your life to have it your way. Listen to me. To have it your way, and that's playing king. To have it your way, you've got to be on the defense. Morning noon and night because if not somebody's going to slip in and they are going to take over we were privileged recently to go to Ireland they say it's a land of a thousand castles we didn't see all of them but we saw some of them and the thing that gripped me is I went through those castles as I realized that the very positioning of those castles indicated that somebody wanted to be an earl, is what they called them. Somebody wanted to be a lord or somebody wanted to be king of that area. So they would build them these massive stone castles. The first place that they would pick was a place where there was a lot of swamps and a lot of water, a moat, if you would. The very thought of playing king means you've got to build something in a place that you normally would not build it so that you could protect yourself from the other kings who want to come in because once you've built this thing, you've set yourself up as a target. So every one of them had water all around them. They were all built in ways. They would build very small entrances. The reason why they would build the small entrance is so that only one soldier could enter at a time. They didn't want a bunch of them coming in. The stairwells went up in such a way 
In those days, most people, as in our day, were right-handed. But the way you went up that stairwell, if you were an enemy, you would have to hold your sword in your left hand that would put you at a disadvantage. And the ones coming down from the top who occupied this castle had their sword in the right hand, the prominent hand. So you had to build everything about it. You had to build the towers so you could see when the enemy was going to come. You had to build a dungeon to put the enemy once you caught him into. You had to build a place big enough on the inside of the castle to hoard up and hold your soldiers and feed them for the day in which the enemy was going to come. In other words, every morning the first thing on your mind had to be, who's going to try to take my castle? Every evening was, who's going to come out to my castle? You had to keep somebody on the tower watching out to make sure and preparation for the enemy that's going to, in other words, it was a total consummation. Every second of your life was dedicated to remaining king. As a matter of fact, when they had their balls and they had their dances, they would have a place for all of the guests, all of the people, uh, all of the others that were invited. There was a space between them and the earl or the lord or the king. And of course, he had his men at his back, so nobody could uh, slip up behind him. They were not to come within that space. If they did, they were taken out and they were slain. And then they had, in those castles, they had little secret holes to where they had soldiers looking down in uh, very inconspicuous places. And they would be listening to the people talking as they were mingling. And what they were listening for was somebody who was out to get the king. What you had to realize when you went in that place, you had to watch what you had to say. You didn't even joke about the earl or the lord or the king or you'd be taken out and put in the dungeon or you'd be slain. Everything about it was something that said that it was going to occupy your whole life. And isn't that the way it is? No matter what it is that you allow to become king in your life, to become earl or lord in your life, it is a constant, constant defensive matter. It is a battle all the time to keep your position, to reign. But I'm going to tell you something. If you've already got a king, you don't have to build a castle. If you've already got a king, you don't have to worry about the enemy. He'll take care of the enemy. If you've already got a king, you don't have to eavesdrop on what everybody's saying, wondering if somebody is going to slip up behind you. You don't, you can, I'm going to tell you, you can enjoy something besides trying to protect yourself and elevate yourself. What a wonderful thing to be able to enjoy your youngins, enjoy your grand youngins, enjoy the house of God, enjoy worship, enjoy your job. Why? Because you don't have this playing king to have to to worry about hallelujah <laughs> I think about it in this realm of evangelism for me for 20 long uh, 20 almost 20 years there's two ways for me to go through this one is to take the throne of my ministry 
and uh, to make sure there ain't nobody talking about me that might hinder me from getting a meeting. Or to make sure that I'm out in front in my advertisement so everybody will know that I'm better than the other evangelists that you could have. I'm talking about in a personal way. And what I find myself doing is battling the brethren, battling religion, battling this thing within me, worried to death that somebody's going to cancel meeting on me and, and I'm not going to get, and I'm not, and, and, and what? I would be concerned with it. But thank God, I realized long before I went into evangelism that I didn't want to be in charge enough to know how. It's all his business. I ain't worried about it when I go to bed. I ain't worried about it when I get up in the morning. And I ain't worried about it when I get behind this pulpit because it ain't mine to worry about. I ain't king of it. He's Lord of my life. Lord of your life, honey. Let him reign over your family. Let him reign in your job life. Let him reign in your worship. Let him reign in your spirit. And you won't be consumed with all the lesser matters of life. You can imagine after the the ball is over, the party, so you didn't hear nobody say anything about me, did There wasn't nobody, was anybody out to get me? Have y'all been checking? Go up there and see if that guy's looking off the tower. Who knows what might slip in here? I don't want to live that life, do you? I don't want to live that life. It will consume you. You know, I was thinking about just in recent history. Two men, one was Stalin, who, of course, was uh, president in Russia for so many years, the Soviet Union. Did you know that he never slept in the same bed two nights in a row because he was scared to death that somebody would kill him? Saddam Hussein never slept in the same castle he had all of those great uh, castles over there, those, those great uh, uh, places of living, and he never slept in the same one two nights in a row because he was afraid somebody would kill him. As a matter of fact, he would find men that looked like him, and he would have them dress like him and act like him so that if there was someone who was going to kill him, that he would kill the imitator instead of him. Isn't that a terrible life to have to live? I say to you this matter of playing, if you're going to rule over anything, add anything, I don't care what it is, it's going to crush you. It's going to confuse you. It's going to consume you. But then I would say to you that this matter of playing king, as we notice in one king after another, is that what follows with it, what comes hand in hand with it, is corruption. It will corrupt you. Anytime there's anybody on the throne besides Jesus, there's going to be sin and iniquity. And the scripture kept saying concerning these kings that they did worse than the one that was before them. And they led Israel, it kept saying, and that they, the, the sins that they caused the children of Israel, leading them into sin. In other words, you see, 
This whole world wants a one world system. That's the spirit of this world. They cry out for globalism. And really, it does make sense. Uh, wouldn't it be better just to have one bank that we could all go to? Wouldn't it be better to just have one form of government that we all, we're all under? Wouldn't it be better just to have one economy that is worldwide? You see, you'd have the head and then everything is under that head. It makes sense. I mean, that's what Nimrod tried to do. That's what all the kings have tried to do since time beginning. But what this world doesn't understand is that once you get that global situation, there's going to be a head to it. And I'm going to tell you who the head's going to be. You already know. It's the Antichrist. And I'm going to tell you what the church is supposed to be doing is in our walk with the Lord, we're allowing him to be king. And the only force in this world that's keeping the Antichrist from getting on the throne is her, which is the church. The Holy Ghost in you and in me exalts the Son of God as we worship him and we allow him to have his way in our lives. And then as a result of that, we become an influence to other lives. And everybody gets saved, he becomes Lord in their lives. And I'm going to tell you, that's a holding back. That's the holding back, the flood tide of evil. This world has never known evil like it's going to know evil when Satan gets on the throne. It's going to be worse than bad. But if you look back in history, you can just see. I mean, when it gets to Ahab, and then he met marries Jezebel who happens to be the daughter of another king. I mean all this king business gets together but the kings have got one enemy and that is the king himself and corruption will flood the land when Jesus is not allowed to be king in your life. The only question you've got to ask yourself is, is who's ruling my heart? And I'm going to tell you, if the king of righteousness is not on the throne, any other king will be a sinful king. Any other king will be a sinful king. It is this matter of playing king leads to this, this corruption that is in Israel that causes Elijah to have to come on the scene. Where there is playing king, you'll find out it's going to crush you. It's going to confuse you. It's going to consume you. It's going to corrupt you. But the last thing that I would emphasize in this matter of playing king is that it will condemn you. Condemn you. It'll cause you to live on edge. nervous all the time. There's a cloud of condemnation that you can't get out from under. Am I really king? Can I hold this kingdom? Who's going to take this kingdom? Just a very cloud of uneasiness. 
on those that do not know the real king. You see, the truth of the matter is, if you're playing king, there's no need to ask God to help you. He don't play the game. He's not going to help Jeroboam. He's not going to help Nabat. He's not going to help Zimri. He's not going to help Ahab. He's not going to help any of those kings hold their kingdom together. <laughs> you know why? I don't want to hurt your feelings, but he ain't interested in your kingdom. And he certainly ain't interested in us playing kings. So the only result of that is, is what we realize, what we realize. And what every sinner, if he only knew it in the condemnation of his work. I mean, what we're trying to do in this day and age, we're turning this into a psychological matter. The reason why I feel condemned is because, and we want to blame it on somebody else. But I'm going to tell you something. In this matter of playing king, the reason why a man feels condemned is because he's afraid he's going to have to face the real king. And that's going to be a bad day. Because the day is going to come when the king of kings and lord of lords is going to show up. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be caught playing king when he gets here. Because what he's going to do to all the players in this game of kings is not going to be good. It is going to be destructive. You know, the thing that I noticed when I was in Ireland is that there were no more lords. There were no more earls. and There were no more kings. And most of those castles, except for the government keeping them up are left vacant. The history of them is gone. Because the day came, the day come, came in the history of it when, when England became so strong when they came in there, what they had, they, they, they run out of all that. It's all, it's all gone. Now you can go look at the castles and they're big and stout and strong. Of course, some of them have faltered some, but the kings are all gone. And I'm going to tell you something. One of these days, the thing that is going to make this world a world of peace is that the kings are all going to be gone. You're not going to have to worry about it. They'll be taken care of because the king of kings and lord of lords will reign supreme. But I got good news. We don't have to wait until the millennial reign to experience the peace of his kingdom, to experience the joy of his kingdom. We don't have to wait until he gets here because, honey, all we have to do is bow the knee now. (laughs) And you know what the house of the Lord is all about? You know why we're here today? We're here for one reason, and that's to praise the king. <laughs> to exalt the king and to adore the king. And thank God we don't have to worry about protection. We don't have to worry about fighting off the enemy. We don't have to worry about building our big fortresses. 
All we got to do is just go through life serving the king. Serving the king. And man, that works in every, here's the joy of it. It works in every facet of life. The king will give you your job. The king will show you where to build your house. The king will give, hey, young people, listen to me. The king, a young lady, the king of kings already has you a husband. The king of kings, young men, already has you a wife. Don't that make life simple? When you got one king that's in charge, which leaves us in one spot. We either play king as these men have or we find a place in our hearts to bow before the king and say, Lord, would you take all the king out of me? Whatever it takes, drain the king out of me. I want to submit to you in every area. Elijah's here for one reason. He's basically telling them, you're not king. My God is on the throne. Woo. I love it. I like to lay down in my bed at night resting knowing that he's watching over me. I got the king of glory taking care. Riding down the road to know I got the king of glory watching over. Amen. Oh, there are kings all around us. Kings will like to be above us, but I'm going to tell you the king you got to watch out for the one that's in us. Elijah said, Ahab, he's here, and he's Lord, and you're in trouble. Let's stand by our head.